You happy to be in the house of the Lord today? This morning I want to speak to you about cultivating an inoffensive spirit. Cultivating an inoffensive spirit. Two weeks from now I'm going to talk to you on the subject, cultivating an unoffendable heart. We want both an inoffensive spirit and an unoffendable heart. We want to be inoffensive and we want to be unoffendable. And both of these things are extremely important for us as we are entering into the last days. We're going to deal with the spirit of offense in these two messages. And it's important for us to deal with the spirit of offense because we are in the last days. And the Bible is clear that our modus operandi, our method of operation, our way of living in the last days must be characterized by an inoffensive spirit and an unoffendable heart. And I'm reading from the book of Acts, chapter 24, verses 15 through 16. Acts, chapter 24, verses 15 through 16. And when you get there, say amen. Now, I'm going to read what it says here. The Apostle Paul is speaking here, and he says, I have hope in God that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Paul said, because I believe that there will be a resurrection from the dead of the just and of the unjust, I strive to see to it that I am not offending God or offending people. I'm striving. Why? Because I believe in the resurrection. Now, if you're asking the question, what does the resurrection have to do with the spirit of offensiveness? Let me answer that question for you. Paul says the resurrection is a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. And that is an important indicator. Because what that implies, what makes that significant, is that both the just and the unjust are going to stand before God at the resurrection. And both the just and the unjust are going to have to give an account before God. And we've got to stop there for a second. Because we're believers in Jesus Christ, right? We're saved by the blood of the Lamb, right? All of our sins have been washed away, right? But did you know we still got to stand before God and give an account of what we did after coming to Christ? Even people who are going into heaven after they stand at that throne are going to have to stand at that throne and give an account for the way they lived on earth. We're going to have to give an account for every idle word. And so Paul says, I know that my salvation is secure. I know in whom I believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. I am persuaded. I'm fully confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it into the day of Jesus Christ. I know. Why? Because I've confessed with my mouth. Believed in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead. I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm fighting the good fight. I'm keeping the faith. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing the race. And I know that there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. I know it. Yeah. 
But even still, I'm careful about the way I live because I still have to stand before him and give an account. So Paul says, I strive. I strive to have a conscience that is without offense, both toward God and toward man. It's so important that we make a decision, that we resolve to live without offense. It is so important that we cultivate an inoffensive spirit as we live in these last days. Now, I want us to understand what offense is. Uh, Offense, uh, the word offense, the concept of offense or uh, uh, offensiveness. In the New Testament, there are two primary Greek terms that translate it. First of all, there's the word skandalon. Say skandalon. 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 It's where we get the word scandal from. Scandal. And the word literally means anything that causes people to stumble. A skandalon is a stumbling block. When you offend someone, what you did was you put a stumbling block in their way and they tripped. That's why you say, stop tripping. Why are you tripping? Or you say, I'm tripping right now. What does it mean? Somebody put a stumbling block in my way and I stumbled. I tripped. Why? Because somebody offended me. And so when I am offensive, I'm putting a stumbling block in somebody's way. Meaning somebody was headed on a particular trajectory toward a particular destination. But I got in the way with my little stumbling block. I put a little stumbling block there and it caused them to trip. Or it is anything that deviates from truth or uprightness. Anything that deviates from truth or uprightness. And that second Greek term is the term paraptoma. Say paraptoma. Paraptoma. Anything that deviates from truth or uprightness is an offense. It gets in the way. It causes people to stumble. Because it deviates from truth or unrighteousness or uprightness. It's an offense. It stops people on their path. It causes people to take detours. It causes people to stumble. And we must understand that both of these Greek terms are used in exclusively relational contexts in the New Testament. Offense is probably a better word than the word sin. The word sin in the Greek is hamartia. Say hamartia. It means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. If I put a bullseye on that wall and shot an arrow and missed the bullseye, that's hamartia. But the term hamartia can kind of give us the idea that sin is any way, anything in our lives that kind of falls short of perfection. You know, I hear people talking about sin and they say, sin, we sin all the time. We're sinning right now. We're always sinning. We can't stop sinning. Sin is everywhere. No matter what we do, we're, we're just imperfect beings. And of that concept of perfection is what they have in their minds. You know, we're, we're always missing the mark. I'm always falling a little bit short somewhere. I didn't do something perfectly today. Maybe I didn't eat good enough this morning. Or There's, there's always just a little bit of sin, a little bit of something. But what it does is it causes us to understand sin As something that falls short of this kind of invisible standard of perfection. So that when the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's as if God's glory is this big target and we've just all missed it. But that's not what sin is. In actuality there's no such thing as sin in a vacuum. There's only sin against. 
This term offense is only used in relational categories, meaning you can only sin against God or against others. Offense. There is no offense if nobody's offended. You have only committed an offense when what you do is offensive to somebody else, to God or to others. Sin is offensive to God and to others. It hurts people and ruins relationships. And we must deal with the problem of sin. But in order to deal with the problem of sin, we must deal with the problem of offense. Now, when I talk about offensiveness, I'm speaking as an expert on the subject. I have a long history with offense. Matter of fact, if you would have met me 15 years ago, you would have said that I was the most offensive person you've ever met. Even more offensive than somebody else that you're all thinking of right now. Maybe not more, but maybe almost as much. And, and there was a history to it. There's a reason why I was so offensive when I was growing up. I mean, the high school I went to was this huge school. It was tremendously large. It was like you could get lost in it. I was in the top ten academically in my, in my senior class, in my graduating class. That's my claim to fame. There were ten people in the class. <laughs> And I was in the top 10. There were 50 people in my high school. 50 people. I, I went to a little private Christian high school, and there were 50 students. It was like, you know, the biggest class was always the ninth grade. They had like 15. <laughs> you know? And then it was like 12 in the 10th grade. You know? By the time you got to the 10th, by the time you were a senior, it was like, you know, it was 10 people. And, uh, and so it was a little tiny school. If, you, if there's anything wrong with your life, anything that went wrong in your life, the whole school knew it. The whole school knew it. I mean, if you had a jacked up house, the whole school knew how jacked up your house. And they knew the degree to which it was jacked up. They knew exactly where it was jacked up. You know, if you had a jungle in your backyard, the whole school knew that you had a jungle in your backyard. And if your family was broke, the whole school knew that your family was broke. I mean, it was... And, and so the way things worked at the school was it was eat or be eaten kill or be killed it was survival of the fittest and when i'm talking about the fittest i'm talking about the ones who were able to make fun of others the, with the most sophistication we we lived by the code of by the code of clowning or capping i don't know what they call it now roasting making fun of people come on y'all never heard of that before yeah I mean, that was the code. Like, that's what you did. Like, you got up in the morning, you went to school. You, and I, I, I got up in the morning, I went to school, I looked for somebody to get on. I'm looking around. Somebody's trip or something. Slip. You know, somebody, you know, have a, the wrong pair of shoes on. Something. I need something to get on. And you know what? I was good. I was an expert. I was one of the best in the school. Matter of fact, I had two friends, Andre Easley and Eric Dawkins. The three of us were the kingpins by the time we were in the 10th grade. Even seniors wouldn't mess with us. Not in the realm of capping and clowning. They might mess with us in other ways, but not in that realm. Matter of fact, one time the king of the senior class, who was the biggest clowner in the school, tried to mess with one of us, and all three of us jumped on him and had the whole school laughing at him for so long that he went and told the principal on us. And the principal laughed at him. <laughs> principal said, you know how many people have come into my office complaining about you messing with them and now you're telling on somebody and you better go out there and take it like a man. I practiced. 
I mean, we honed our craft. Andre and I used to go to the mall, and we used to sit at the mall and clown everybody that walked through the door. It was the way we practiced. We, we, had, we were ninjas. Not loud enough for them to hear us, just loud enough for each other to hear us. You know, we'd sit at the mall, somebody walk in, look at her hair. Her head looked like a rectangle, wrecked in the front and tangled in the back. <laughs> you know? I mean, we come up with stuff like that all the time, you know? All the time, you know? And so that's how it went in high school. Now, one, number one, little did I know how badly we were hurting one another. I had no idea how badly I was hurting the people around me. And I, I, I stop and wonder sometimes how many people might still be carrying trauma because of something I said to them in high school. Second problem was when I got to college, it didn't dawn on me that there was no longer any threat. I was in Bible college preparing for the ministry. And I was the most spiritual person you would have met in that college. I mean, I would stand there and talk to you about the things of God. And we'd be speaking about the Spirit. And we'd be all stank-faced. Mm, 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 mm. Hallelujah. We'd be crying. Talk, and then we'd go into the prayer chapel and we would pray and speak in tongues together for hours. And then we would come out and I would see somebody walking by with a messed up pair of pants. And that's all I needed to see. You'd think I was a different person. I didn't realize it, but all of my friends in college both hated me and loved me at the same time. They loved me because I'm lovable. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm fun. But they hated me because I was fun at their expense. Yeah. I graduated college, went to seminary, and finally at seminary, I actually had a group of people around me that wouldn't take it. They just wouldn't take my stuff anymore. They would confront me, and that's exactly what I needed. I needed some people to sit me down and say, you can't do this. You can't treat me like that. I didn't like that. That You were laughing. That was not funny to me at all. You know, when one person says that to you, you're like, oh, oh I guess I better be careful around her. <laughs> when two people say that to you, you say, oh, I got to think about that. When you're, a room, when, you, when you're in a room full of your friends... And every single one of them says that to you. I'll never forget that day. <laughs> Nine or ten of my friends in this room. And one of them said, you know, Benjamin, I just need to tell you that last week you said such and such to me. That really hurt my feelings. And you know what? You do that all the time. And I just need you to know it's not funny to me. So I'm asking you, don't, please don't ever say anything like that to me again. Can you please? So, wow, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't realize it hurt you that bad. I'm sorry. I won't do that anymore. And another one. And by the way, <laughs> last week when you said such and such, and the next one, yeah, and me too. I mean, it was like, eh, eh, eh. I was like, it's got to stop there, right? The next one. And me too. All of them. I had a revelation at that moment. I realized for the first time in my life that I was a jerk. You know what it's like to be a jerk but not know you're a jerk? You do? <laughs> I hope not many of you know. I wouldn't wish that on my enemy. Because if I'm going to be a jerk, at least I want to know that I'm a jerk. So I can be a jerk on purpose. It's one thing when you're a jerk on purpose. I was not a jerk on purpose. It was an accident. <laughs> and so 
I began to pray, Lord, would you shift my heart? Because I don't want to be hurting people all the time. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to be offending people all the time. I don't want to be, I don't want to cause pain in people's hearts. I don't want to stop people. I don't want to tear people down. I want to build people up. I don't want to be a hang up in people's lives. I don't want to be a hindrance. I want to be a help. And so I need God to remove this offensive spirit from me. Now, some of you are sitting there listening to me say this and you're thinking this message doesn't apply to me at all because I never made fun of nobody. Let me tell you something. You can be a silent person and that doesn't mean you're inoffensive because you can communicate the worst offense through silence. Somebody says something to you completely ignore what they say. Sometimes you just roll your eyes. How about this? What is that? A punching noise. Sometimes you look at look at somebody. Mm-hmm. Translation: I could care less about what you're talking about. What you're saying is so ridiculous and it's so beneath me because I am so much more mature and intelligent than you. What we need to understand is the eschatological significance of offense. Offense has eschatological end time significance. Matthew chapter 24 verses 9 through 14. Jesus first of all tells the disciples about the end of the age and the character of the end of the age. And he warns them of what is to come. And the first part of what he warns them is about what's going to happen outside of the church. Outside of the body of disciples. The stuff you can't control. He says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Mm. You can't do nothing about that. I mean, that's just going to happen, right? But then he turns inside the church and what happens inside the church is actually worse than what's happening outside the church. And then many will be offended, will betray one another and will hate one another. It gets worse. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Hold on a second. There's a progression Many are offended and then many betray one another and then many hurt one another and then many false prophets arise and deceive many. Do you realize that even the opportunity for deception to take hold in hearts and false prophets to arise starts with the fact that people were offended? You look at any movement in church history where there was any type of false teaching or deception and it was always rooted in a group of people who were offended by what they were saying in the last place and so they broke off from the last place and started a new place and what they taught in the new place was a reaction to what was taught in the last place. Whenever you're doing anything in the name of Christ that is a reaction to what somebody else is doing, you are setting yourself up for heresy. God's calling him to us to respond to his calling, not react to what somebody else is doing. 
And if your ministry is a reaction, then your ministry is by its very nature the fruit of offense. And then he says, and because of because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Do you see this? Wait a minute. This little offense. You didn't think it had any spiritual significance. Just you and sister so-and-so got in a little argument. And, and, and you just find you said, fine then. Fine. I don't need her anyway. Ain't nobody got time for that. And because you and so-and-so got in a little tiff and decided you couldn't fix it, betrayal takes place. Well, fine, I'm going to go tell her, listen, don't talk to her anymore, okay? Because, you know, you know, we can't be hanging out with her because she's, you know, right? And pretty soon, hatred takes place. Do you know how much hatred is in the body of Christ? We never call it that. Yeah. See, we think that terminology actually means something. Because you call something something different doesn't make it something different. Yeah. That's right. You know, you ever hear somebody say, did you see, did you see who so-and-so brought to church on Sunday? I'm not trying to gossip, but that ain't the, that ain't the guy she brought to Sunday to church two Sundays ago. I'm not trying to gossip, but I'm not just because you say you're not trying to gossip doesn't mean that what follows that is not gossip. I'm not gossiping, but gossip, 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 gossip. Now, praise God, I'm saved because I don't have any unforgiveness in my heart, but I can't believe she did that to me. You know how much hatred? It's in the church. Hatred is simply an ultimate form of rejection. You hate anybody that you've decided in your heart to cut off forever. Anytime you've been in relationship with someone and you've made a decision, I'm done with them. Over. It doesn't mean that you have to be actively wanting them to suffer pain in your like when we think of hatred, we think of this place in my mind or heart where I hold somebody and I, ooh, I hate you. I can't stand you. I want to kill you. No. <laughs> hatred is simply ultimate rejection. Yeah. Whenever you say, I'm done with you, I'm not fooling with you anymore. I'm not wasting my time thinking about you anymore. Mm-hmm. You can just go somewhere and I don't care where it is you go. <laughs> <laughs> we should call this sermon. <laughs> <laughs> And then after hatred, false prophets deceiving many, and then lawlessness abounds, and the love of many grows cold. Hold on a second. The love of many grows cold. He's talking about believers walking away from the faith. All because you and sister so-and-so decided you weren't going to fix it. When we have little disagreements, when we have little places of contention, when there's offense in the body of Christ, we don't stop and think that if we let this persist, people might actually walk away from Christ. That walking in offense can actually have eternal significance. Romans 5.15, Paul speaks of Adam as patient zero of the epidemic of sin. Because of one man's offense, Paul says, many died. 
one man's offense, and he does not say one man's sin, hamartia. He says one man's offense. Because what Adam did offended God. It was an offense against God. Literally, Paul is saying that if you go all the way back to the beginning of the book, original sin is in itself the spirit of offense. And so Paul says, I hope in the resurrection. And so I'm striving to live without offense. Now, you know, some of you are thinking about folks that, you know, no matter how hard you try, you can't live at peace with them, right? I mean, no matter how hard you try, there's just no reconciling. There's just no getting it right. Anybody? I'm not asking for a show of hands, but just raise your spiritual hand if that's you. Raise your hand in the Holy Ghost. Say, God, that's me. I got a witness up in this house. You say, no matter how hard I try, it'll take a miracle. You ever think that? You know what? It'll take a miracle to get this right. You ever feel that about your spouse? You know what? I just have to accept that this just ain't going to change. It's going to take a miracle. Isn't it funny that we Pentecostal charismatics can have faith for everything but relationships? I mean, if somebody walked into this church right now limping, you'd be like, five people would be like, let me pray for you. Brother, what happened to you? Your hip hurt? Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name. Come on now. Just try to walk on it now. Do something you couldn't do before. Come on. Try it. Shake that hip out. Come on. In Jesus' name. Unlock. Unlock. I come against that rheumatoid arthritis. Whatever. <laughs> the miracles veins got to go back. Whatever it is. You know, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. But somebody says, it looks like my marriage is falling apart. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll pray for you. That's tough. That's tough. I haven't talked to my brother in six years. Yeah, I know the feeling. My mom is so angry with me, she won't even speak to me. Mm, join the club. It's probably a blessing. It's a blessing in disguise. When was the last time somebody shared with you some kind of relational difficulty or division and you immediately came to faith and said, let's pray for that right now. I believe God to break that and bring reconciliation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you not realize that physical healing is not the primary manifestation of the gospel, but reconciliation is? Amen. Do you not realize that in eternity, see, we talk about heaven and we say there's going to be no more sickness there and no more pain. And yes, that's true. But most importantly, the tabernacle of God is going to be with men and he will be their God and, and we will be his people. Most importantly, we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. An impossible chasm that we could not cross was crossed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Let me tell you something. If we don't have fellowship with one another, we are not walking in the light as he is in the light. But the sign that we're walking in the light is that we've learned to get along with one another. Coming to faith for relationships. You say, well, it's impossible. Jesus said all things are possible for him who believes. And yet it's true that you're not always going to be able to live at peace with everybody. And so Paul, or the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people. Pursue peace with all people. The question is not, have you caught it? The question is, are you still pursuing it? 
Some folks, you're going to pursue peace with and not catch it, but you keep pursuing it. Pursue peace. Listen, I see peace down the road. I'm going to pursue it. Say, peace seems so far away, then you better run a little harder and a little faster. Say, peace is eluding me. Well, you better get a faster vehicle and catch it. Pursue peace with all people. And one of the greatest problems is that there's folks that we have simply stopped pursuing peace with. And the moment we stop pursuing peace, and here's the key, coming to a place of freedom in our hearts. Sometimes I can't even call and talk to the person, but I can get free in my heart. Because if there's no peace in my heart, I've got no peace before God. At least I might not be able to call you on the phone and fix it, but I can get before the Lord and fix it in my heart so that there's nothing between you and me. And then Romans 12, 18, Paul says, if it is possible, as much as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. As much as it is possible. As much as it depends upon you. The question is, have you done everything that depends upon you? To bring peace. Or are you sitting back saying, well, he better come apologize to me. Many of you have heard my wife's testimony of how her father had abandoned the family when she was very young. And she didn't see him from the time she was 11 years old to the time she was 26 years old. I hope I got that right. And when she was... No? Okay, it's close. And when... What, how old were you? What are the years? 24. And when she was 24 years old, the Lord spoke to her and said, go find your father and reconcile with him. He was in another country. And she said, uh-uh, he left me. I didn't leave him. He better come find me. She didn't say it with that accent. I just kind of ghetto fight her. <laughs> and the Lord said, no, you follow the steps of Jesus. I didn't leave you. You left me. But yet I sent my son to come find you. You're going to follow the steps of Jesus. You go find your father and you reconcile with him. If you haven't heard my wife's testimony, you've got you to gotta listen to it. It's on some sermon somewhere. You've got to find it because it is so powerful of how she had to travel to another country, go through court records like in City Hall for an entire day, and then wait out in front of his apartment for several days from early in the morning till late at night. And finally she found him. And you know what? She led him to Christ. It wasn't possible. It was uncomfortable. But it's what God was calling her to do. And she did it. And because of that, his eternal destiny was sealed. I want to give you six keys for overcoming the spirit of offense. Six keys for being inoffensive. Now, I'm going to talk about having an unoffendable heart in two weeks. And that's an important message as well because, you know, as hard as I try to be inoffensive, sometimes I may offend you. No, I will. And so you're going to need an unoffendable heart for those moments. And vice versa. So you say, how do I cultivate an inoffensive spirit? I'm going to give you six keys. Number one, grace. You've got to become a person of grace. What does it mean to be a person of grace? A person of grace is simply a person who refuses to walk in judgment against anyone. Judgment is always the mother of offense. Judgment gives birth to offense. Because the moment I judge you in my heart, the moment I have have stood in judgment over you in my heart, I have authorized my mouth, my body language, 
the movements of my eyes even to communicate that judgment either to you or to others. Judgment is the mother of offense. You know, I was listening to a preacher recently, a few days ago, and, and this particular preacher is a very powerful preacher, but there's some stuff about his life, you know, just little stuff. And, and you know, there's questions that aren't answered. And, and I was listening and I thought to myself, man, this person has a very powerful preaching ministry, but I wish his life fully lived up to what he's preaching. And immediately, it just I thought that. It was just like an, an offshore thought. It wasn't even a strong thought. It was just this little thought. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit hit me. And the Lord said, instead of judging him in your heart, pray for him while you listen to him. Amen. And all of a sudden, my heart shifted. And while I was listening, I was praying, oh God, this is such a powerful gift that you put in this man for the body of Christ. God, preserve it. God, watch over him. Build a hedge of fire around him. Protect him. Lord, it doesn't, it, it, no wonder why the devil wants to take him out. Because you put so much awesomeness in him. So God, preserve him. Watch over him. And keep, you know what? If we did that for all of our brothers and sisters instead of pointing the finger. Who cares what you heard? You hear about so-and-so? I don't care what you heard. Pray for so-and-so. Don't judge. Grace. Covering with grace. Grace is the primary foundation for being inoffensive in your communication. Grace is the primary foundation for being inoffensive in all of your communication. Grace. Where there's no grace, there will be offense. Number two, sensitivity. You got to be sensitive to the folks around you. You got to be sensitive to how to interact with each individual. See, there's this whole mindset that says, well, this is just who I am and either take it or leave it. And I'm just the same with everybody. No, I'm not the same with everybody. You know why I'm not the same with everybody? Because there's some folks in there. See, those of you who know me well, or if you've been in one service, you know that I'm one of the most inappropriate people you've ever met to this day. But my goal in life is to be unoffensively inappropriate. If I can be inappropriate in a way that does not offend you, I win. But the moment my inappropriateness offends you, yeah. I've stepped over the line. Yeah. And so there's folks in this room right now that I, I make jokes about you from the pulpit sometimes. I'll crack on you from the pulpit and I talk about anything. Your race, your height, your hair, your clothing. I, if I can weave it into my sermon and everybody get a good laugh out of it. I'll go for it. I'm not afraid. But there's others of you that I would never tell a joke about you, either from the pulpit to your face and in, 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 in private, in public, behind. I would never tell a joke about you. You know why? Because I know it would hurt you. Like for you, for the people that I would crack jokes about like that, I know it doesn't hurt them. I would only do it if I know. I know where their boundaries are. And so we can have a little fun like this. You know, Ade, he lives in our house and he's like this tall, you know, you know, he was making salsa standing at the counter one time and he was chopping vegetables like this. You know, when I cap on that man, when I mess with him, he loves it. He loves it. I mean, he and I, we laugh and you know what? He'll come right back at me. You know, he'll come right back at me. He'll be like, you're supposed to be a man of God. You know, he's kind of, 
you know. <laughs> right, that's not his accent at all, but, you know. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, it's all in good fun. But there's other folks I would never even think about telling a joke. Not, and, not, and sometimes, you know, when we sense that people are sensitive, we even judge that. Why is she so sensitive? You know? Man, I can't even make a joke about her. She's all offended. Well, maybe there's a reason for that. You know, when you see a wall in somebody's life, don't try to break it down. You respect the wall. If I sense I'm coming to your boundaries, I start backing up. You realize, you know, one of the things, one of the things I try to practice at the altar when I'm praying for people I lay hands on people based upon the level of comfort that I sense from them. Do you know there's some women that come to the altar? I won't lay hands on them. I'll get my wife or another woman and say, come over here and lay hands. Why? I just feel that there's just a little bit of discomfort. Why? This person may not know me. And I might be stepping over their boundaries. And so I'm still going to minister to them. But I'm going to make them feel safe first. So I'll call my wife or come lay your hands on. And I'll put my hand on my wife's shoulder and pray. Or I'll let a woman minister to them. Other people, I'll go right at it, lay my hand on the head. Why? Because I sense that there's this level of comfort. I, and I sense there's no wall there. And if I'm trying to tear down a wall to get to you, I've damaged you in the process of trying to relate to you. You say, but I see this thing in their heart that I'm trying to get to. Yes, but the heart is the holy of holies of the human person. And if you're trying to pound down a wall to get to it, you can't break down the wall to get to the heart. But you know what? At a certain point, if I build trust and credibility with you, you may ask me to come help you take down this wall. And you and I together can take down that wall brick by brick. And then you and I together can walk into the holy place of your heart. And we can speak to that thing. That You, you know what? Because I need you to do the same for me. It's not just because you're all broken up and I'm all whole. Anybody who thinks that way is just not aware of their own brokenness. And so I respect your boundaries because I need you to respect mine. Sensitivity is so important. And then communication or positivity. Before we get to sensitive, uh, before we get to communication, positivity. Positivity means that you always strive to maintain a five to one ratio of positive to negative interactions. <laughs> Let me say that again. You need five positive for every one negative interaction. That's how you know you're a positive person. If you ask somebody whether you're a positive or negative person in their life, they will think back and they'll say negative or positive based on the type of interactions you've had. You know, we can get to this place where we're always confronting things in people's lives because we think it's right. But at a certain point, it doesn't matter if you're right. What matters is if you're positive. And when I'm talking about positive, I'm not just talking about like the power of positive thinking or putting a positive spin on negative things. I'm talking about just respecting people and loving people because they're a person. And not seeing people as projects. If I'm constantly trying to fix something in your life, it's because I see you as a project. You're my project. And so you got to get better quick so I can feel better about me. Because how I feel better about me is dependent upon how much I help you look like a better you. You're going to be a trophy on my shelf. That's what, not what it's about. What it's about is simply relating to each individual as a person and saying, you know what? You're not a project. You're a person. And I just love you. I just love hanging out with you. And if I can help, great. I'm here to help. But that's not what it's about. 
And so positivity, being positive, say nice things to people. I mean, it's real simple stuff, right? This isn't deep revelation. So I'm having a problem with someone. Have you ever said anything nice to them? Well, I never thought of that. That's revelation. <laughs> Go say something nice. You got, you got to learn reality therapy. You know what reality therapy is? Four questions. Number one, what do you want? You got to ask yourself that question every day. What do I want? Number two, what are you doing? And number three, is what you're doing going to get you what you want? So often we're doing things that are not going to get us what we want. Matter of fact, things that are going to take us further away from what we want, and we're doing them anyway. I told you one night I came home, my wife was mad that I left crumbs on the counter. She snapped at me. I was mad the whole rest of the evening. But I didn't say anything until about 11.15 p.m. We were laying in bed with our backs to each other, and I almost said something. I opened my mouth and then stopped it. Because what I was about to say was, it is so wrong that I've been gone all day. And as soon as I come in the house, instead of saying, hi, baby, good to see you, you say the crumbs are on the counter. That's all you can think about is the crumbs on the counter. And so I work my fingers to the bone, you know, you don't appreciate what I do. You know, that's what I was going to say. But I stopped and did reality therapy on myself. I said, Benjamin, what do you want? I want my wife to say nice things to me. What are you doing? I'm just about to yell at her. Is that going to get you what you want? No. Not at all. In fact, she's going to say worse things than she said about the crumbs. Fourth question. What can you do to get what you want? How about ask her to say nice things to me? I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I think that's the answer. So I said, baby. She said, yes. I said, let's do AA. Admiration and appreciation. She turned around and smiled. Okay, you go first. <laughs> and you know what? We ended that evening saying wonderful things to one another. You're going to reap what you sow. If you want, your, your, you want somebody to, to treat you nice, treat them nice. Say nice things. Be positive. Fourth, communication. Never communicate negative things through digital means. If you got something negative to say, do not send it in an email, a text message, on your Facebook wall, in a Facebook message. Don't tweet it. If you got something negative to say, say it in person. Why is that important? Because you tend to be bolder when you're hiding behind an email. Because you don't have the presence of the person you're confronting to contend with. And so you can say all kind of stuff because they're not in the room. <laughs> Difficult things can be covered in grace when communicated face to face. But difficult things get magnified by negativity when communicated electronically. So communicate. Fifth, transparency. Be willing to admit your weaknesses and ask for help. Trust is foundational to intimacy. And transparency is one of the most powerful trust-building mechanisms available to you. Amen. So admit, I've got issues and I need your help. And especially, this is a key for leadership, especially if you're a person in authority. Yeah. The most powerful 
mechanism of reconciliation you have when you are in charge is to admit your wrong to the people under your leadership. It breaks down all their walls. It breaks down all their barriers. It opens their eyes and it facilitates reconciliation. I'm going to end with this. I will give you the sixth thing. Don't worry. But before I go to the sixth thing, I'm going to say this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 24, he says, if you come to the altar with a gift and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. And then come back and your gift will be accepted. Now, when I'm at the altar, it's easy for me to remember stuff that I have against my brothers. But it's not very easy for me to remember stuff that my brother has against me. I mean, when was the last time you were just worshiping at the altar and all of a sudden you remembered, wait a minute, I offended this person. If that happens, it's a work of the Spirit of God. Not too long ago, I was having a time in prayer and in worship, and the Lord brought this person before my heart that actually, in my mind and heart, they were the offender and I was the offended. They were members of our church here. And this brother left badly, said a whole bunch of stuff, put stuff on Facebook, on his wall, even called people, talked bad about us, I was so angry because I felt like I had poured into that person's life for years. How could they do this to me after all these years? I would never think of treating them that way. I was angry. You know what? In my heart, I just said, Psh. I'm done. I'm done. I, I mean, I never even allowed those words to congeal in my mind. It's not like I said in my mind, I'm done with them. I cut them off. But in my heart, my heart said it, even if my mind didn't, my heart just said, I'm finished. My heart just began to close toward that. My, you know, it didn't begin to, it closed. I just ain't got time for that. I got too many people the Lord has given me to minister to, to be worried about somebody that's acting like a fool. It's just how I felt. You know, a couple of years went by. Just recently, went before the Lord in prayer, and the Lord says, You need to forgive this man. And I said, He needs to repent. <laughs> the Lord said, No, you need to forgive this man. And I was like, And then I was going through some old Facebook stuff. You know, I'm the kind of person, I like to go back. I love the timeline on Facebook. You can pick the year and see what you posted two years ago, three years ago. You can even go back to the year of your birth. And see, sometimes people put your baby pictures there. There'll be a picture of you right there that was dated. And I found something I put up on Facebook a few years ago that caused controversy. There were 77 comments. And you know, a lot of people took offense to what I said. 
And it was so painful because I felt like so many people misunderstood what I was trying to say. And I mean, people were posting scriptures in all caps. Like chapters. And in the midst of it, you know what I found? This guy. You know what he said? All of you guys are misunderstanding my pastor. I've sat under his ministry for years. And he does not teach what you say he's teaching. And he does not believe what you say he's believing. You all have misunderstood him. What he's really trying to say is this. And when I read it, I thought, yeah, that's it. This is, this is what I wanted to say but couldn't say. And this man said it on my behalf. And I looked at that and I thought to myself, this man loved me. This man respected me. This man thought highly of me for years. But I'm judging him in my mind because of the last episode. All I can see is the last episode. See, that's what offense does. Offense becomes a stumbling block in the trajectory of love. You are on a path. And I thought to myself, if I would have remained in relationship with this man, even through the offense. If I would have just said, I know you're offended right now. And I know you're saying stuff that's not right, but I'm going to stick with you. Even if you go, my heart will go with you. trajectory of love would have continued to move forward in spite of offense but I let that stumbling block fall in my path and trip me and I fell over it and it stopped right there our love stopped right there I quickly opened up another window and I typed him this message I'm sorry I'm sorry I know I hurt you I know I wasn't there for you the way you needed me to be there. I know I couldn't figure out what your family needed or how to give it to you. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry it was so painful for you that you said the things you said. I know you said it because you were hurting. And I'm sorry. That man responded to me almost instantaneously. I don't know how he typed all of that. So it was like, whap! This big, long, several pair, swap! Just came up like, whoa, snap. And you know what he said? I'm sorry. It was me. It was my fault. I didn't do it right. I should have come and sat with you and told you that I was feeling some stuff. But I was so I was in so much pain and I was too afraid to tell you. I'm sorry. I did it wrong. Thank you for reaching out to me. I'm so, and you know what hit me? That man was waiting for his opportunity to reconcile with me. See, in my mind, he was still seething. In my mind, he was still cursing the day I was born. In my mind, he was spitting on the, anything where he saw my name. In my mind, he hated me. In my mind, he was the one with the problem. But what I discovered before the Lord was that all that time we were separated, I was the one with the problem, not him. I was the one who had cut him off. I was the one who had said, he was waiting. He was waiting for that opportunity. That opportunity to say, I'm sorry. He was waiting. He was waiting. He was waiting. And the moment I gave him that opportunity, he took it. Let me tell you something today. Some of you are here today and you think the father's mad at you. You think you've messed up with God. You think you've disqualified yourself. You think you've become such an offense to God that he's just like, Psh. 
But I'm here to tell you that the Father is waiting. He's waiting. He's wa- I mean, the moment you reach out to Him and say, Father, I'm sorry, Jesus, I'm sorry. I want that, the very moment you turn to Him, whap, you're going to see a message from Him come up on your screen and say, I've been waiting for you to turn to me. I've been waiting for my opportunity to reconcile with you. The blood of Jesus Christ has been waiting for you all these years. All these years, all these years, he's been waiting for you. He's been waiting to reconcile you to Christ. He's been waiting to bring you back to himself. He's been waiting. He's been waiting to reveal the deepest places in his heart to you. God wants you to know today that he doesn't have a problem with you. He has no quarrel with you. No disagreement with you. You don't have to wait for his heart to calm down. You don't have to let the smoke clear between you and him. You don't have to give him time to get over it. He got over it 2,000 years ago when his son Jesus Christ died on the cross. And he's waiting. You say, how can I overcome that spirit of offensiveness? You have to embrace the spirit of reconciliation. That ministry of reconciliation, that's the sixth point. Embrace the ministry of reconciliation. Paul said it. He said, for the love of Christ compels us. For we believe that one died for all and therefore all died. He says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. As if God were making his appeal through us. And so we urge you. Be reconciled to Christ. Be reconciled to God. For God made him who knew no sin become sin for us. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. That ministry of reconciliation starts with your reconciliation with God. And then it spreads outward. Reconciliation between you and God and reconciliation between you and others. That ministry of reconciliation. Every other ministry. Some of you have been here and you've been crying out in your hearts, God, I want to know what my ministry is. I'm telling you what your ministry is. It's a ministry of reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He tore down every wall of enmity. He broke it down. He he removed the enmity that was against us. He nailed it to the cross. Today he's come. He's standing in our midst. He says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. You're so tired. You're so tired. You're so tired. There's some in this room right now that are crying out in your hearts. What must I do to be saved? And I'm here to tell you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You and your house. It starts with you being reconciled to God and then your house. Upward 
and then outward. Reconciliation is the anointing of the Spirit of God. John said it in 1 John chapter 1. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sins, our offenses. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around this morning. First question. There's some of you here today, you say, I've got offenses in my heart towards God. I've got offenses. Not, I'm offended. We'll deal with that in two weeks. I want you to put away the fact that you're offended. I want to start with your offenses. You say, I know I've offended God. I know I've offended God. I've downright rejected Him. He's reached out for me and I've just said, Psh. And I know I've offended others. Maybe those are easier for you to see. Because i got broken relationships in my life. Listen, i got good news for you today. The blood of Jesus Christ is here to cover it all. To cover all of your offenses. The Father has no quarrel with you. He's simply waiting for you to take that step and say, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Father, I'm ready to reach out to you. I'm ready to say I'm sorry. I'm ready to ask, can we be made one? You're here this morning. You say, I'm ready. I'm ready to be reconciled to God. I'm talking to you. You say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not asking if you ever said a prayer at an altar. I'm asking if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You say, I don't, but I'm ready right now. I'm ready right now. I'm ready to take that step right now. The Father's waiting. If that's you, lift your hand right where you are. I see those hands. Amen. How powerful. Anybody else? I'll just give you one more moment. Anybody else? I see that hand right there. Powerful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah. I told you the Father was waiting. The moment you lifted your hand, he just released grace from heaven. He just released grace from heaven. Listen, I'm going to ask you to come stand up here with me right now. And I know that might be beyond your comfort zone, but there's a wall that I want you to step over today. That wall, I want you to step over today and come stand up here with me right now. And I'm going to pray with you. And I believe Jesus Christ is going to change your life forever. Come on up. Those of you that lifted your hands, those of you that lifted your hands. You say, I'm embarrassed. I don't want you to be embarrassed. It's not what it's about. It's about making a public confession of faith to Jesus Christ. Come here. Come here. Good. Come, come on. Give Jesus a hand. Give Jesus a hand. Come here. Come here. Come here. It's okay. Come here. Come here. Come here. I'm here. Don't worry. I'm here with you. I'm here with you. Nobody's more out in the open than I am. What a powerful moment. What a power. Yeah. Come here. The spirit of God's all over your life. Mm, come here. The spirit of God is all over your life. I've been noticing you from the beginning of worship that the spirit of God has been on your life. God's doing a healing work. Come on over here, sister. Come on over here. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Listen, this is a powerful moment. Let me tell you how powerful this moment is right now. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you of all of your sins. All of it. Reconciled. The moment you indicated that you were ready to turn back towards him, he turned back towards you. And he said, it's all washed away. 
gone under the blood of Jesus as if you never committed any of it. Nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. Clean slate. Grace. 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 I want everybody to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I ask you, forgive me of my offenses. Father, I know I've offended you. I have committed many offenses against you. But I see grace in you. And I ask you to pour out that grace on my life. Father, I know that that grace comes through Jesus Christ. Comes through his cross. Comes through his resurrection from the dead. And I believe that he is Lord. That he is my Savior. And I receive him now. I thank you, Father, for your great grace. It's greater than all of my sin. Father, I just speak your blessing over these right now. And I declare that it's a new season. And old things have passed away. And all things have become new. And Father, I pray for an impartation of the Holy Spirit. Everybody just open your mouth and pray for a great impartation of the Holy Spirit on these right now. I pray for an impartation of the Holy Spirit to release. In the name of Jesus, filled to overflowing. To overflowing, a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, go after it, go after it. It's a new day. It's a new season. It's a new day. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it, Father. Newness, come on, come on. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Everybody stand up. Lift up your hands and just ask God for a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it, Father. Yes, God. Yeah, come on, just lift up your hands and just worship Jesus right now. Help me know you. 
Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you today that you are here. And that you are standing beside each one. I pray that you strengthen and encourage. I pray that you would heal and deliver. I pray that you would open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that's too big for us to receive. And I pray that we would walk in your abiding presence each and every day as we go forth from this place. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise. Give him a shout of praise.